Welcome to Insurance Uncovered, the first property casualty insurance podcast offering perspective and insight on the top issues facing industry professionals. Insurance Uncovered is produced by the National Association of Mutual Insurance Companies. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Kathy Imus. Today, we're uncovering drones. No longer a pie in the sky? The new program taking off this week that may encourage your company to launch a drone program. Plus, easing the pain with blockchain. How this new technology can make the claims experience less burdensome for insurers and their policyholders. And a study in human behavior. IIHS President David Harkey tells us about the organization's distracted driving research and why the problem goes beyond cell phone use. Commercial drone use takes a step forward as the House approves a five-year FAA reauthorization bill. This sets the stage for research to begin on flying unmanned aerial systems beyond the line of sight, a big win for insurers who hope to eventually use drones to survey large areas impacted during disasters. NAMIC pushed for another provision in the bill that calls for the Department of Transportation Inspector General's Office to conduct a study on the appropriate roles and responsibilities of state and local government in regulating low-altitude drone flight below 400 feet. The bill coincides with this week's launch of LANCE, the FAA's Low Altitude Authorization and Notification System. Eric Van Asdale, Senior Loss Control Representative at Country Financial, says the program speeds up the process for insurers who need to fly near airports. But, but that Lance system basically gives you instant access to that controlled airspace. Uh, there's a map that we have access to to know what it'll say. And as, if you're in that map at this location, it'll tell you you can fly up to anywhere between 50 and 400 feet, depending on how far away from the airport you are. But it gives you that instantly, so you don't have to wait for paper authorizations. We've, we've filed for over 250 of these paper authorizations, and we have to manage those and maintain them for our pilots that are using them. So now it pushes that on the individual pilot and makes it a lot easier and opens up that airspace so we can go, go use them. The House FAA bill also included language bolstering the Federal Pre-Disaster Mitigation Fund that has been called for by NAMIC. It passed with strong support, but it remains to be seen how the Senate will approach reauthorization and if anything can even pass this chamber given the sharp partisan divide of an election year. Blockchain is a new technology that has the potential to transform many sectors of the economy, including insurance and risk management. In NAMIC's most recent InsureTech and Innovation webinar, the Institute's president and CEO, Pete Miller, outlined how blockchain can make the claims process easier for both insurers and their policyholders. You know, it's a great industry, but there are some pain points in insurance. Um, sometimes customer experience can be better. That's in the form of faster transactions, getting claims settled more quickly, um, high premium. Um, at least in some customers' eyes, um, if we can remove loss and loss adjustment expenses um, from that from the expense side of the category, wouldn't that be nice? And maybe we could pass some of that along to our uh, to our customers. Um, it's difficult sometimes to uh, enter um, emerging markets, and I think that um, you know product innovation can be can be sometimes be difficult. So the common themes are automation, improved third-party integration, more extensive market research, and greater efficiency. From the insurance side, 
the insurer side, high administrative costs, fragmented data sources. That's a very expensive proposition um, because I have to go many places to find data or I have to buy it or do something like that. Manual processes, to me, a classic is subrogation. Uh, there are many um, subrogation um, transactions throughout the year, and our analysis says they're largely done manually. The Institutes has introduced an insurance-specific consortium called Risk Block Alliance that is developing a variety of blockchain applications for the industry. To learn more, check out NAMIC's latest white paper about this new technology and what possibilities lay ahead for property casualty insurers. Insurers are also keeping an eye on emerging technology for smart homes. Rob Olson, senior research analyst at the International Risk Management Institute, says it's worth considering for insurers who want to be innovators and early adopters within this market. Well, smart homes are coming. uh, And the idea is that insurance companies of the future, uh, on, on the homeowners landscape, they need to be thinking more and more about how can we help the consumer reduce losses to begin with? And what role can we play rather than indemnifying them afterwards? So if they can partner with companies that have state-of-the-art water sensors, uh, and, I mean, you can have a water loss that can be over $100,000 easily. You know, people have to move out of their home. It happened to me many years ago. And so if you have technology that will sense that water loss underneath the house, let's say, in the crawl space, and either A, call the plumber immediately, or B, shut off the water and notify the insured and notify the plumber, that's the best of both worlds because you're, you just saved a $100,000 water loss. Olson says some insurers are hesitant to adopt the technology because hacking is a major issue. However, Olson suspects the risks will go down as cybersecurity improves over the next several years. It's been four months since Dr. David Harkey took over the reins as president at the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety. The organization's research has been vital to curbing distracted driving across the U.S. On today's Unscripted, NAMIC president and CEO Chuck Chamnus sits down with Harkey to discuss the groundbreaking research now underway at IIHS. You know, I was thinking uh, you've been in this position in a few months, and we're going to talk a little bit about your uh, First uh, exposure to IHS and HILDE, the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety and the Highway Loss Data Institute. Uh, but, you know, part of the job, it's, of course, great research. It saves lives, but it's a big media relations component that I'm sure you factored in. And so while you'll certainly be on network TV and 60 Minutes during your tenure, you've really reached a big time now because you're on our insurance podcast. <laughs> yeah, you got to start somewhere, and I'm glad, I'm glad we have the opportunity to do this today. Nowhere to go but up after this, David. <laughs> Well, let's talk with uh, you a little bit about your first few months. Um, how's it going so far? Uh, are you enjoying it? It's been great. I think the uh, two big things, that takeaways I have from these first few months, one is is the, the staff uh, at the institutes are incredible. Um, it's a very highly qualified, uh, very expertise uh, staff. We get asked uh, for a lot of input to a lot of different uh, issues, roadway safety issues, and our staff is in constant demand. The second is, is it's been um, a great opportunity to 
learn a lot more about the insurance industry, uh, who obviously is, is our sponsors, and to engage with the automakers. And so that's been a very positive aspect of these first three months. So tell me a little bit about yourself. I know uh, you're an engineer by training and a PhD um, researcher, educator, but uh, what brought you to this stage of your career? So I, I had the fortune of, of being involved in research uh, very early in my career in graduate school uh, and uh, worked for a consulting firm and then for the university doing roadway safety research. And so my, my background was uh, in highway design and traffic operations research, and that's what I did for a very long time. When I moved to UNC, I had the opportunity to get engaged in a lot more human behavior research. Um, which fits nicely with with one of the um, programs at the Insurance Institute. Uh, One of the reasons that um, I came here was where we are with regards to um, vehicle technology and where the transportation future is going to be. This is a great time to be at the Insurance Institute because of all of the vehicle-related research and all of the technologies that we're going to have to keep an eye on moving forward. And so it's, uh, it's, a, it's a great opportunity to, to be here at the institutes and be able to address many of those challenges that we're going to face in the future. Well, speaking of behavioral research, uh, we spent this morning talking a lot about distracted driving. Uh, the institute's also you know, been in the lead in working on impaired driving. But uh, how do you see the Institute's agenda uh, near term, particularly on distracted driving, which we talked about today? And, um, you know, what can we expect uh, near term on these issues? So I think dis- distraction uh, is, is certainly one area uh, that we're looking at. Um, I described to, to the staff at the Institute's that part of our challenge moving forward is, is to not get lulled into all of the hype surrounding um, autonomous vehicles, self-driving cars, to make sure we have a balanced portfolio of research and programs. And distraction falls into to one of our program areas of human behavior. I think there are two things on distraction. One is, is that um, while cell phones are a big part, um, or one part, I should say, of the challenge, as we discussed this morning, Distraction comes in a lot of other forms, Um, whether it's eating in the vehicle, uh, whether it's talking to other passengers in the vehicle, whatever it may be. Um, And so we're going to have to keep an eye on all forms of distraction and try to figure out how to continue to provide information to consumers about how dangerous this is. The the other piece of distraction that we've got to pay attention to is as more technologies come into vehicles, that allow drivers to become disengaged from the driving task, will they become more distracted by doing other things? And I think that's something that we will continue to look at over the next few years. Speaking of technologies, um, you know, there's some that help reduce distractions in the vehicle. Can you give us a sense of what you're looking at in that area? So I think a couple different things there. Um, There are... um, some systems out there now that that vehicles uh, vehicle manufacturers are starting to include um, Ford is is one example um, their system my key system is one that allows parental controls uh, with regards to things like speed of the vehicle with regards to cell phone messages not coming on 
uh, or being transmitted uh, while the vehicle is in motion. I think these are the sorts of technologies we've got to look to OEMs to provide to help us um, deal with the other kinds of technologies that will lead to distraction. So we will continue through our conversations with automakers uh, and with other vehicle component manufacturers try to stress the importance of while you're thinking about putting technologies in to help the driver uh, improve the driving tasks, also think about putting put, putting technologies in the vehicle that will help address the kinds of problems such as distraction that we're going to see moving forward. So it's a balance, and we're trying to work with them on how to do that. I love the commercial that I think Ford has around the mic key where the kid comes in and doesn't know that he has mic key, uh, you know, installed, and it's like, Dad, something's wrong with the Mustang. It won't go over 65. That's right. And the dad just, you know, yeah, that's right, son. (laughs) So... You know, looking at uh, impaired driving, uh, you know, we've come so far on, uh, you know, alcohol use and driving. Uh, marijuana is the new frontier uh, being legalized in more states every year, and we're still studying that. Can you give us a sense of where we are with marijuana? Yeah, so one of the advantages we have at the institutes, and particularly through our uh, Highway Loss Data Institute, is the insurance data that we uh, acquire helps helps us take an early look at emerging problems. And that's one of the emerging issues that we've been able to look at over the last year or so. Um, And essentially what we are are seeing is is being able to compare states that have passed laws that allow for the recreational use, legalized recreational use, uh, versus those states that have not. We're seeing uh, roughly about a five to six percent increase in insurance claim frequencies uh, in those states that have passed legalized recreational use laws. And so this is an emerging impairment problem that we're very focused on and we will continue to monitor and try to provide that feedback to uh, other policymakers that may be considering this in other states. But at the same time, we have to continue to focus on alcohol impairment. Um, We still continue to lose more than 10,000 lives annually uh, in this country um, as a result of alcohol-impaired crashes. And so that's something that I have a uh, desire to focus on and to have our staff focus on over the next year. Uh, Alcohol interlocks are being used increasingly. Uh, How are we engaging in that uh, discussion. So that's one example uh, of where there are interventions that are out there and could be utilized. Uh, and they work. And they work. And, uh, and we just released a study on that to show that, you know, moving from um, uh, having no alcohol interlock policies in place uh, to using them for first-time offenders as well as repeat offenders it's a tremendous decrease uh, in the number of potential crashes, alcohol-impaired crashes. That we, and we could solve this problem. A lot of it, like, like problems like impairment, like speeding, a lot of it comes down to political will and whether you can get the policymakers to actually make the changes that are needed uh, at the state level. And that's where we come in. We're ho- happy to, uh, to work at the state level on law and regulation and uh, help implement the uh, safety agenda that our industry supports. 
So let's turn our attention for the last couple of minutes to uh, really the big issue that everybody's talking about, you know, automated vehicles. Um, you know, we engage in the debate, again, at the policy level, and uh, it's a challenge because, uh, you know, on the one hand, you have tech firms and OEMs and, and rideshare services um, that basically tell policymakers, hey, don't worry about things like safety today, even improving technology with drivers behind the wheel, because we will soon eliminate the major source of all accidents, the loss of life and injury. That is the person. And just trust us, we're going to do it right. Uh, I'm not asking you, well, you can comment on the policy if you'd like, but I think the science of and the, the state of play with respect to the technology is an area where, uh, you know, you all are doing some research and, and evaluation. So what is the state of play there? So I, I think the biggest challenge with uh, with where we are uh, with autonomous vehicles, uh, as I was saying earlier, there's a lot of hype. There's been a lot of hype uh, now for several years about self-driving cars doing exactly what you just described, which is they're going to solve all of our problems. They're going to be here soon, and they're going to solve all of our problems. And I think uh, those of us that are um, in the road safety research fields know that, that that's simply not the case, that it's going to take a very long time uh, to reach that level of, of saturation um, and to allow these vehicles to operate under all conditions. So, you know, what we're trying to do is to look at uh, each technology that becomes available on a vehicle, try to determine if it works as it is intended to work, if consumers are comfortable with the technology and understand what it's supposed to do, and then does it, in effect, reduce collision claims, uh, insurance claims, and does it reduce crashes, which is the ultimate reason for putting the technology in place to start with. And so we go through a series of research um, projects that allow us to look at each of these things. And, I, and this will be what we continue to do as we move from level one to level two systems and eventually into these highly automated vehicle systems in the future. Level five systems of the future. And if we get to level five and, and that becomes uh, the, the, the end all at some day, several decades from now, then uh, we'll be happy to close the doors uh, at the Insurance Institute because we may not be needed anymore. And that would be a good thing because of all the lies that would be saved. Well, last question, uh, not specifically on the closing the doors, but uh, <laughs> I've been on the board for 15 years. You're the third president that I've been fortunate to work with. It's such a great organization to be a part of because of its public safety, public health mission and the great success that the Institute has, has had due in large part to the great staff and the research and, of course, the support of the insurance industry that makes it possible. Fast forward to the end of your tenure, you know, what's what's success look like? What do you want the, that story to be written, uh, however many years in the future that is? Uh, well, that's a tough question. Uh, I, uh, I, I've told people I don't have a crystal ball on, on what autonomous vehicles are going to look like in the future. I'm not sure I have one on what the end of my tenure will, will have looked like at the Institute either. Um, I think there are two things. If, if we could have made an impact uh, in the areas where we have stagnated, 
um, with regards to road safety, and that was impairment, as we were talking about earlier. It's also with regards to uh, speed-related collisions. I think that's that's a big piece, and a big part of it is is that if we can continue to improve the partnerships that we have, not only with the insurance industry, but with those who are on the ground day to day. So um, state practitioners, local practitioners, and help them make changes in their communities, and we drive the fatality numbers down, then that will be success. I mean, ultimately for us, you know, our mission is all about saving lives. And ultimately for us, at the end of the day, I think we are measured by how our programs, whether it's our research, whether it's our outreach, um, uh, whatever it may be, uh, has that resulted in saving lives. And I think that's what I would want to look back on in my tenure and say, did we move the needle in these areas I just talked about, and have we saved lives? Uh, that would be a great legacy. Yep. So, David, thank you very much. Thank you, Chuck. Appreciate the opportunity. Hard to believe, but we're one month from the start of hurricane season. So on the next Unscripted, we reflect on lessons learned from last year's devastating weather events. Chuck sits down with Paul Ehlert, NAMIC chairman and president and CEO of Germania Mutual, to discuss his experience as a Texas-based insurer during Hurricane Harvey. And that's it for us today. Tell us what you think of our podcast. If there's something you'd like to hear more about on Insurance Uncovered, just shoot us an email at uncoveredatnamic.org. And don't miss our next episode on May 16th. I'm Kathy Imus. Thanks for listening. <laughs>